Welcome to the Baseball Lifer podcast. I'm Don Wardlow, your Baseball Lifer in residence. Well, it's been a busy week. Aaron Judge signed back up with the Yankees, and Yankee fans like me breathed a gigantic collective sigh of relief. I mean, we know, you know, this is a long contract he signed, nine years. million. And we know what's happened with other players who signed these big contracts. Mo Vaughn going back a couple of decades, leaving the Red Sox and going to the Angels and getting hurt almost instantly. He hardly signed the contract and he was injured. And then, of course, there's Albert Pujols was 10 years superstar with the Cardinals signed a gigantic contract with the Angels. But the Yankees were in a position where not signing Aaron Judge would have been a disaster. The man hit 62 home runs. He broke the American League home run record just this past baseball season. And if they didn't sign him, they had absolutely no one in his category to replace him. And I can tell you if the Giants had signed him, which was the closest competition, they would have been sorry because their ballpark is nothing like Yankee Stadium. It doesn't give Aaron Judge the opportunity for the home runs that he hits in the Bronx. So that's one signing. The Red Sox are in mourning because Sander Bogarts signed on with the San Diego Padres. The Phillies signed Trey Turner. The Met fans aren't very happy because Jacob deGrom is moving on. He's going to pitch for the Texas Rangers. One subject of conversation during this offseason has been the shift and the fact that the shift is going to go away, especially the radical shift that we've seen in the last few years where it looks like most of the defensive team is in one side of the field expecting the hitter to hit there. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about the guy for whom the original shift was intended, and that would be Ted Williams. And not only am I going to talk about him, but after a while, you're going to be able to hear the man himself, Ted Williams, being interviewed by one of his coaches with the 1969 Washington Senators. I'll get back to that later, but I'll tell you a little bit about the man himself before we hear that piece of audio. Ted Williams was a San Diego native. He was born there in August of 1918. He played baseball constantly. His mom worked for the Salvation Army. So that left Ted with a lot of time to play the game as a boy. After high school, he went to the minor leagues and then to the Boston Red Sox. And he had an amazing career with the Boston Red Sox. His lifetime batting average was 344. 
He had 521 home runs, 2,654 base hits, and a major league record on base percentage of 482 between base hits and walks. He was on base almost half of the time that he came up to home plate. If it was exactly half, then his on base would be 500. But 482 is very, very close to 500. So it was almost half the time he would come up, he would reach base by base hit or by walk. Ted Williams was an all-star. Almost every year he was eligible. Almost no one is a rookie all-star. Joe DiMaggio is an exception to that rule. But Ted wasn't a rookie all-star. Not in his first year, 1939. But he was an all-star in 1940. And after that, he was an all-star every year that he was eligible. He lost a good number of years between World War II and the Korean War. In those years, he wasn't playing, so he wasn't eligible to be an all-star in baseball. But he was a decorated war hero in both the World War II and the Korean War. One of the lowest moments in his career came in an all-star game. He broke his elbow in 1950 in the all-star game in Chicago. One of his greatest thrills was hitting a walk-off home run to end the 1941 all-star game in Detroit. And we'll hear him talk about that at the end of this podcast. Ted Williams won the MVP in 1946 and again in 1949. He won two triple crowns, one in 1942 and one in 1947. The triple crown is the fact that he led the league in batting, in home runs, and in RBIs. He won six batting titles. And the way he did it was interesting because three times he won the batting title two years in a row. The first was 1941 and 42. The second was 1947 and 48. And the third, and this is amazing, 1957 and 1958. And those two seasons, he was 39 and then he was 40. And he was winning the batting titles. It amazes me just just to think about that. He led the American League in home runs four times in 1941, 42, 47, and 49. He led the league in runs batted in as a rookie in 1939. He had 107 RBIs as a rookie, his first year out of the gate. The only time Ted Williams made the World Series was 1946. Unfortunately, in a move that would never happen today, the Red Sox played an exhibition game in between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the World Series. Somebody 
had the brilliant idea that because the National League was having a three-game playoff between the Cardinals and the Dodgers, that the Red Sox needed to play somehow to keep themselves sharp. So they drummed up an exhibition game, and Ted Williams got hit in the elbow, and he played through the World Series, but his injury was was obvious to those who saw the series, and he didn't play at his best. On the Baseball Lifer podcast, we're talking about Ted Williams. He was the last hitter to hit 400. In fact, he hit 406 in 1941. Now, the last day of the season was a doubleheader. And at that time, on that day, his batting average was just just at 400. Technically, it was like .3995. And the way scorers then and now figure things, that would have come out as hitting 400. And when his manager, Joe Cronin, offered Ted Williams a day off to reserve his 400 average, he wasn't having any of it. He played both games. He registered six base hits out of eight tries and ended up with a 406 batting average for the season. Ted Williams was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1966 on his first try for that. And interestingly enough, he's also a member of a second Hall of Fame. He's a member of the International Game Fishing Association Hall of Fame. Two athletes, Ted Williams and Jim Brown, the former football player, have been elected to two different halls of fame. About his hitting, Ted Williams said his goal was to have people passing by on the street say to one another, there goes the greatest hitter that ever lived. He said that in his interviews and said that in his book, My Turn at Bat, which even now, even 60 years after it was written, is a terrific book. The last public appearance that Ted Williams made was at the 1999 All-Star Game. He had had a stroke some years before that, And it made it very difficult for Ted Williams to walk. So he only walked a few steps and then he was in a golf cart and they drove him to the mound at Fenway Park, his old stomping grounds. And all the all-stars of 1999 surrounded Ted Williams and they did a photo opportunity and the crowd went bananas. They gave him a long and loud standing ovation. Must have been at least six or seven minutes of nonstop cheering for Ted Williams. He played the game in the era of the great nicknames, and he had several. He was the Splendid Splinter, 
he that's because he was a very skinny man. He especially as a young player. He was nicknamed the kid by Johnny Orlando, one of his first minor league coaches. And Johnny wasn't the only one who called him the kid all throughout his career. But Ted Williams' favorite nickname was hung on him by a little child. He mentioned this in his book, My Turn at Bat, that the child of one of his friends was watching baseball on the TV and said, I want to see Teddy. And the child's parents said, Teddy who? And the child said, Teddy ball game, which turned out to be Ted Williams. Well, the word got back to Ted Williams about that nickname. And from then on, he referred to himself as Teddy ball game. He does that quite often in the book. I think that's one of the funnier nicknames that, that he had. Teddy ball game, along with the, the kid and the splendid splinter. You're listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast with Don Wardlow. The subject has been Ted Williams because the shift is going away in the 2023 baseball season. And the shift was created to try and defeat Ted Williams as if anything could. The Cleveland Indians manager began it. Lou Budrow, he was the manager of the Cleveland Indians, and he had the idea to start moving his outfielders and his infielders because Ted Williams was a left-handed hitter who notoriously hit the ball to right field. He almost never hit the ball to left field, which would be called hitting it to the opposite field. He almost never did that. And so Lou Budrow figured that by playing his defense loaded on the right side, it would limit Ted Williams's effectiveness. That tactic may have worked somewhat, but the man still ended up with 344 lifetime batting average. But other teams, once they heard about the shift, they would do their versions of it. And it did not go away when Ted Williams retired. There have been shifts ever since, and they've gotten more radical through the years, which is why Major League Baseball is looking to take that out of the game and have the players play more in the positions they should be playing. I mean, if a second baseman makes a catch fairly deep in right field the way we saw during the last baseball season. How do you score that? How do you score a long fly to the second baseman who was playing in the outfield? After Ted Williams' baseball career, he would come to spring training to work with the Red Sox, particularly Carl Yastrzemski, who followed Ted Williams playing left field. He'd work with Yastrzemski on his hitting. But eventually, Ted Williams became a manager. And he managed the Washington Senators. He managed them in their last three years in Washington. 
and their first year as the Texas Rangers, which they are now. Early in that first season, there was a dinner where Ted Williams was with one of his coaches, Wayne Terwilliger, another baseball lifer who came to be a friend of mine when Terwilliger, who was known as Twig, coached with the St. Paul Saints, where I was broadcasting. Well, there was a raffle, and Ted Williams won a tape recorder in a raffle. And this was 1969. This was a cassette recorder, and it was relatively new. And Ted Williams told Twig, he said, I have no use for this. You take it, and you figure out what to do with it. Well, Twig did that, and during the 1969 baseball season, sometimes he would get the recorder out and interview one of his players or, on two memorable occasions, his manager. As far as I know, what you're about to hear has never been broadcast. Listen to this. Listen to Twig interviewing Ted Williams, hear the voice of the manager. The first segment, he talks about his team, the 69 Washington Senators. In the second segment of the interview, he talks about the 1941 All-Star Game and later his very first at-bat in the major leagues. So the next voice you'll hear will be that of Wayne Terwilliger, my friend, Twig. And he is interviewing Ted Williams. He's 40 games old and almost a quarter of the season is gone. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, what's the toughest thing about managing other than losing? Well, I guess it's the same old story that everybody says, you know, uh, you know yourself as a manager. But if you can handle your pitchers and, and, and they can come through for you, of course, you feel like you're doing a good job. But in reality, it's the pitchers that's got to do the good job for you to be successful. And... Um, uh, how you work them, I guess, is probably the most important thing. On our ball club now, Ted, uh, what would you say has been an encouraging signs and maybe uh, a couple disappointments? Well, I don't think there's any question that the most encouraging thing that's happened to the Senators this year has been the, the desire to play and the hustle that we've shown. And I think that equally important has been three of our young pitchers have come through and have been outstanding in the bullpen. I'm talking about Baldwin, I'm talking about Bosman, who isn't even in the bullpen anymore as a starting pitcher, and uh, Cox has done a great job. And I think that those three fellows that were in relief last year uh, probably didn't do as well as good a job, and as a result, the middle inning pitchers were getting the club out of the game, and they weren't close. This year, they're, they're holding the opposition, and as a result, the Senators have been close to pretty near every ball game. As a matter of fact, about 32 out of 38 ball games, 39 ball games. Ted, we've seen uh, almost every club in the league except maybe Minnesota. And uh, how do you appraise a club so far? Well, I think I'd lean towards Baltimore with probably a little bit more depth than anybody else. And they've got a good powerhouse team. I think Boston's got a lot of good young talent. Uh, that uh, Their pitching could still be a little questionable. Uh, I think that, uh, that uh, Detroit... Uh, has a good sound ball club, and for some reason they haven't been able to quite gel it together. Uh, Cleveland got off to a miserable start, and I, but they're better than that. Uh, we're somewhere in between there with the Yankees uh, that uh, 
uh, played a lot of close games and could be even better. Certainly our ball club could be uh, four or five games better than they've been, and you put those four or five games on our record and we're knocking right at the door on, uh, with uh, Baltimore. The West uh, has been uh, uh, surprisingly good to me. I, I think that Seattle is a lot better ball club than most people have given them credit for. Uh, certainly Oakland's a good club. Uh, Chicago's a little different club than they've ever been. They're not the speedy club. They got a little better hitting than they had, and they got good sound pitching. I think that, uh, as you say, we haven't seen Kansas City, but uh, California is uh, a club that uh, figures to be better. They've got good young pitching, and they haven't quite been able to do it. But I think the two-divisional play is going to be a good thing. I think it's going to cause a lot of fan interest, and already I can see things developing to where this enthusiasm is going to last through the season. I'm talking from the Washington dugout here at Tiger Stadium, and once more with our manager, Ted Williams. Ted, yesterday you were telling me about coming in here at Tiger Stadium or Briggs Stadium or Naven Field, whatever it was called, and uh, liking to come in here. Why? Well, I think all hitters' uh, eyes light up a little bit when they get to Briggs Stadium because uh, it's got good background and it's uh, surrounded uh, all the way around and balls sound good and they carry good and the fences are not way out of line. and. And as a result, well, I think all hitters like to come to, to Briggs Stadium. And of course, over my career when I played, I had pretty good luck here. And uh, so uh, I remember the balls I hit. And, uh, and uh, so it's easy to uh, say that it's, it's always kind of nice to come back to Briggs Stadium. But you mentioned another reason, Ted. You told me about the pitchers, the Tiger pitchers back in. Well, that's right. We were talking about them that, uh, that uh, as long as I can remember, the Detroit pitching staff was always a staff that kind of dared any hitter. I mean, they just don't walk too many guys. And back when I was playing, why they had uh, members on the staff that could throw hard and they all kind of challenge you. As a result, why uh, I got a lot more balls to hit, uh, to get a chance to hit in this park than, say, Yankee Stadium. Because Yankee Stadium, I walked a lot more than I did in this park, even though I walked a lot here. But I got more balls to hit here uh, by far than I got in Yankee Stadium. And uh, it just seems like uh, that the, the pattern that a staff will have will carry on from one 10-year uh, period to the next 10-year period to the next. An example of that is the fact that Detroit pitching today is that still same challenging type of pitching staff. Ted, uh, the All-Star Game in 1941, was that the correct date? Yeah. I was sitting in the lower left field bleachers, I believe, which was then Briggs Stadium, and I still almost see the seat where I was sitting, and I could also see the spot where you hit your home run to win the ball game. Can you tell me who it was off and what kind of pitch it was? Well, it was Passo, and he'd had a great year. He was having a great year with Chicago, and uh, he threw uh, a, a good high, uh, a three-quarter delivery, and he had a fastball he kind of spun just a little bit and it really was kind of like a slider uh, not very many people were in fact the, no one that I know of was actually throwing a slider and uh, he'd been throwing that ball in on me and I was just a little late because it was coming in on me instead of coming back over the plate like it would be from a right-hand pitcher and uh, I had taken a cut uh, in fact a couple of swings and I said gee I gotta be quicker with this fellow because he's getting his ball in on me a little bit and coming in on me and about that time, the next pitch was in on me, and I got a little quicker, and I got it up in the air. And Of course, it happened just at the right time for young fellow to say it was the greatest thrill in his baseball career, which, which really was one of the greatest for me. And, uh, you know, imagine a 20-year-old kid with all the great players in the league and uh, his second All-Star game, at first one starting, and, and uh, hitting a home run in the ninth into winning. Why, you know, that has to be a big thrill. You know what I thought you were going to tell me, Ted? I thought you were going to tell me it was a curveball low and away. No, no, it's pretty good to hit, as a matter of fact. Two men gone in the ninth. 
5-4 in favor of the National Leaguers. One strike and one ball. Ted Williams, the batter, standing out of the crouch. Passo pitches. High, inside, ball two. And Passo is asking umpire Babe Pinelli toss him a new ball. There's something wrong with that one. Babe does. Claude gives this one a going over. And this, boys and girls, is a ball game and has been one all afternoon. A real all-star affair. They've done everything, made errors, good plays, hit. The pitch. Williams hits a towering fly. It looks as though it's way up in there. Way up, way up. And the top hits the top deck, the third deck. And this ball game is over with the American League coming through again. It'll count as a home run because the ball is up on the top deck of the right field stands. Everybody grabbing Ted, patting him on the back. Joe Cronin has his hat off and is giving him a Dutch rub. Artie Fletcher is also on his back. And the kid really laced that one out. Boy, oh boy, it didn't go over the roof, but it hit the third deck barrier in right field way up there plenty high. The third home run made in this ball game. Archie Vaughn made two for the National Leaguers and drove in four of their five runs. And Williams came along with this one to win the ball game, knocking in Gordon and Joe DiMaggio. How about, Ted, how about your first time at bat in professional ball? Do you remember the circumstances? Oh, sure. They sent me up, you know. I'd signed, and I was on the bait, uh, on the bench, and and uh, just uh, couldn't wait to get in the lineup. And finally, I had a chance to go on up. I'm sure it wasn't too important a situation because, you know, a rookie, first time up in professional ball. And I um, I was 17 years old, and, and I uh, was sent up to play, and, gee, I took three right down the middle, and I couldn't just unload that bat. And, of course, uh, uh, you'd have to say I tightened up. And uh, uh, it was quite a little while before I got a chance to do it again. But uh, the next time I was swinging and I got a double, and the next time I got a double, and from there on I got to start to play a little bit. So um, it's understandable. I can I can understand now what happens when when a young guy gets up there and he just can't swing the bat. I'm glad to hear that, Ted, because I tied your record. I also did the same thing. Thanks very much. So you've been listening to Wayne Terwilliger, also known as Twig, baseball player, minor league manager, coach of. Ted Williams, Washington Senators in 1969. Twig was given the tape recorder by his manager, and he used it to interview the boss on a couple of friendly occasions. You heard Ted Williams talk about the home run he hit in Detroit. I shared with you a recording of Ty Tyson the Tigers broadcaster of the day, describing Ted Williams' home run. He was the first man to end an All-Star game by hitting a home run. It's only happened twice since then. Stan Musial did it in 1955, and in 1964, when Shea Stadium was still brand new, the Phillies' Johnny Callison hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the ninth to end the All-Star game. But the first time it happened, it was done by the man I've been talking about on this episode, Ted Williams. I hope you've enjoyed the Baseball Lifer podcast, and I hope you'll join me next Friday.